We are in week five of our practices series, and we're going to be leaning into a practice that ultimately stands on the shoulders of a few practices that we have been talking about already, principally the practice of stewardship and the practice of simplicity. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about the practice of tithing. Everybody take a deep breath, all right? We're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. I've been joking around with my team that tithing is probably the most sought-after message in all of church, right? I mean, this is like, I can feel how excited you are right now to listen. It's right up there with the message on circumcision, you know? I mean, it's just like, this is going to change my life, you know what I mean? Like, this is it. But, but, but we're, we're going to start where we have been starting, and that is in Romans 12, verse 1, and it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. I've said it over and over again. There is a way that the world deals with life, and there is a way that heaven deals with life. And as Jesus lovers, we are on a journey towards godliness. And as we are moving from the pattern of the world and moving towards the ways of heaven, the practices have a purpose in our life. We could even say that the practices actually have a greater purpose in the practices themselves. Meaning that it's what the practice produces in us that trumps our obedience simply to do the practice. The mechanics are not what we're after. We're after the purpose of the mechanics being alive in our lives. It's not just that we check a box that we're doing these things or maybe not doing these things. It's that we're seeking heaven and becoming transformed into the way of heaven, being renewed, letting our minds be made new as we are working our way towards being more like Jesus. And again, let me just say it, tithing stands on the shoulders of so much of what we've been talking about. And I want you to see that tithing is an opportunity, it's not an obligation. Tithing is an opportunity, it's not an obligation. It's a practice that has a very important purpose, equal to everything else that we have been talking about. But just to quote my dad's Money can make you feel funny, right? And so, so we can talk about ordering our inner world, and we could talk about worship and declaration, and we, we could talk about simplicity. We could talk about fasting. We, we could talk about all of these things, and, and it will draw us towards heaven. But as soon as money gets involved, all of a sudden we begin to be fearful that we're being manipulated, And when that fear interjects into our system, we miss the power and the purpose of this practice that is called tithing. As soon as these rhythms we've been talking about affects our wallets and our budgets, it can start feeling a little bit weird and these practices can start feeling like at times like a lifeless obligation or pressure to when that's not at all the design 
of the purpose and dare I say the opportunity of fasting in our lives. And I believe that God really wants to set us free in some very powerful, cool ways today. Amen? You guys excited for it? Hey, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your presence that it's been so rich here in this place. Lord, as we've worshiped you this morning, as we've turned the eyes of our hearts towards you, Lord, let that gaze remain as we dive into this practice that you've given us to be a weapon, not an obligation. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, I want you to jump with me uh, to the Old Testament. Actually, it's the last book in the Old Testament, and it's called Malachi. Last book of the Old Testament is called Malachi. Malachi is a very cool book in the Bible because it was written by a prophet. Now, again, it's a little Bible history for you guys to understand is that before Jesus, God would raise up prophets on the earth that would be mouthpieces for his message to the people of God. And those prophets would hear from heaven and then declare to the people not just what God had for them, but at times corrections for them as well as direction for them. And this verse falls right within that. Malachi was the prophet of God, actually the last prophet before Jesus came. When Malachi prophesied to the people, it then began a 300-year silence until Jesus came and invaded the earth. And so I would say that all of the words of the Bible are massively important, but it would be also cool for us to understand the significance of God's words to the people as heaven was getting ready to be silent in preparation for the greatest rescue mission that's ever happened in the history of the world. And so here we have Malachi prophesying to the people of God. And again, the people have found themselves in a very familiar rhythm of turning away from the things that God had asked them to do and not living in the way that God had asked them to live. They had removed themselves from the purposes of God and therefore they had stepped outside of the protection of God. And I love that God's theme to the people in this message was a message that was absolutely a message of grace and hope in the midst of every way that they had turned away from who they had been called to be. God's words were not merely frustration or anger. God's words to them was a, is an invitation back to having relationship with him. We find that God is speaking to the people often about how their inner world had gotten out of order. How many of you guys remember last week, we talked about the importance of our inner world being in order. Jesus' words to us that we are to seek first the kingdom of heaven. That our first desire should be the kingdom of heaven and then everything else will be Added. And when we begin to put other things on top of our desire to see heaven, then everything gets out of order within us. And an out of order inner world leads to chaos in our outer world. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God is speaking to the people of Israel through the prophet of Malachi, ultimately about reordering their inner world so that they can experience the power that comes on the backside of a life that is living under the way of heaven versus a life that is living outside of the way of heaven. Remember, there's a pattern of the world and there is a pattern of 
heaven and our desire, our hope, is that we wouldn't conform to the world, but that we would be transformed and made new and walk in the ways of heaven. This is what Malachi says to the people. This is the voice of God through the mouth of Malachi in chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. That's a good word. I, the Lord, do not change. Amazing that the words from heaven to a people that had rebelled against God was an affirmation that he is always and will always be a God of love and care and availability. I, the Lord, did not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. I've protected you. Even though you have rejected me, I have protected you. How many of you are thankful for the protection of heaven in the midst of your life where you should have died? I, the Lord, I, I, I protected you so that you were not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. He is saying, look, for generations you haven't worshipped me. This isn't just a couple of years skid. Since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you have not kept to them. Now listen to the message of grace made plain to all. Return to me and I will return to you. Return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? Have you asked that question? You know you're far from God, but you feel so far from God, you lost the map on how to get back to him. And sometimes in our distance of where we are and where we want to be, we get overwhelmed, honestly, at the simplicity of grace. That the message of heaven was returned to me. Simple, that's it. Just come back to me and I will come back to you but but in our human nature that doesn't make any sense because we work for what we get so 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 the people hear this and they're like well how are we supposed to get how do we do this i want to get back but but the space the cave the cavern seems too big and this is god's response will a mere mortal rob god isn't that a weird kind of left turn Return to me, and I will return to you. And the people are like, cool, how? And God goes, can you rob me? This has been a weird moment. This wouldn't have made any sense, doesn't make sense to me now at surface level. We're talking about a people who had rejected the ways of God, and now we are being invited into an obedient act of giving to God. Are these two things connected? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. Now listen, hard sentence here. You are under a curse in your whole nation because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. 
that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Do you understand the power of those words? The people were shot down dead for testing the Lord, and then God says, test me in this. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be delightful. You will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This passage of scripture is shining more light on what we started talking about last week and the power of our inner world being in order. Again, I think it's important that we understand that Jesus is not after our money. Jesus is after our affection. Jesus is after our affection. He is not after our money. This is why we seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of these things will be added to us. First Timothy 6.6, 6, again from last week, but godliness with contentment is great gain. When we are trusting God for who he is, there's nothing that can steal from what he has for us. There, there's no fear of what if. There's no anxiety of what might come. God is telling the people of Israel here in Malachi chapter 3 that he has not moved. He has not changed. His character has remained consistent. His unfailing love for the people has been unwavering, even though they have lived in opposition to him. Verse 7 says that you have turned away from my decrees and, and you have not kept them. You, God is making it clear. You've conformed to the pattern of the world. You've conformed to the pattern of the world and you are not living a life reflecting what I've called you to here on the earth. Jesus says that we don't need to worry about what we'll eat or about what we will wear. I think what Malachi is getting at here is that where our treasure is, there our heart will be. I, I believe this is why we, we have this left field turn from returning to a heart for God and then right into giving your tithes to God. Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be. And God is bringing up an inner world ordering weapon in the conversation. That inner world ordering weapon is tithing. It's giving. He says, how are you robbing 
me through your tithes and your offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Again, God is not dealing with money here. God is dealing with affection here because money in and of itself is not bad, but money out of order in our inner world leads to all things bad. What's crazy is that what God is getting at here with the people of Israel is that they had built idols that had represented a God that was stealing their affection from the one true God. And in our culture, we don't have idols on street corners. I've traveled in places where on every corner, there are little statues, little idols, and people will stop and pay and give money to the idol so that blessing will follow them on that next part of the road. I've, I've been in countries like that. We don't have that here, but, but we do have an idol in our back pocket, which is our wallet. Again, money is not bad in and of itself. Money can be a great weapon for good. But an idol is something that takes our affection or that we revere or that we love. And I think in an honest assessment of life, we would probably all say that there are areas of our heart where money has gotten a little bit out of order. Where it's turned into our safety net, our security place. We, we put value on it. How we see ourselves is connected to how much money that we have, not how God sees us, regardless of how much money we have. So we, we begin to build this security blanket around ourselves of resources that actually just leads us to wanting to cover, covet more resources. Have you noticed that? That, that the goalpost keeps moving in our finances? Like if I could just have this and this could be taken care of and then you achieve that goal only to find yourself needing another goal to be set. Because what we are looking for actually is what that idol cannot provide for us. Money cannot provide for us the security and the peace that heaven can. That place is to be met in Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of these other things will be added to you. Jesus said, don't worry about the, the stuff you're going to wear and what you're going to eat because I know you need them. And I know you need them so bad that I'm going to extravagantly provide for you in them. But when they replace the place of affection... When money becomes what we are seeking and not heaven, things getting out of order within us creates chaos around us. And so we, we have made money an, an idol in the purest sense. We, we see it, we love it, we adore it, we revere it, we long for it. We worship it. We get excited about finding it. You remember finding money on the street when you were a kid? The lottery, dude. I'll never forget. I walked out of church one time. I was 10 years old. There was a $100 bill in the parking lot. Dude, I'm like, God is on my life. That's what, you know, I'm like, God is with me. He is for me and not against me. 
And, you know, you can't keep something like that hidden, bro. That's like you are going to shout out. You're going to shout that down, right? My dad was like, somebody's going to know that they lost that. That's, that's $100. And he's like, so you need to tell the pastor that you found the money. So if somebody says, hey, to someone, you know, that they could give it. And he's like, hey, look, if no one claims it, then you can keep it, right? And I'm just like, dude, I don't need to tell anybody. God provided this for me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and so I, you know, I told the pastor, and sure enough, someone called in a panic, and they were like, oh, my gosh, I lost a $100 bill. So I had to give them the money back. And, you know, they didn't give me no reward, those selfish people. <laughs> they didn't give me no tithe, man. <laughs> no, it, it, the thing is, is that that joy that I had when I found that, that never ends. Right? Because it's connected to something in us. It's connected to provision. It's connected to, to things that are bigger than what the money actually represents in and of itself. And so there's always, like, the, what, when we get a raise at work, are, do we celebrate or do we go into depression? No, we celebrate, right? It naturally happens, right? Like, you, you get given more in what comes out of us. Yes! Right? You don't get given more and go, oh, shucks. That's tough. I was really hoping for less. No, like, because it touches this thing inside of us of safety and security, and and what that does is it robs us. It's a temptation for us from finding our security and our safety in heaven. This is why God spoke of money so much. It's because it's so easily distorted in the human condition. And so we, 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 can, we can think like, oh, my gosh, like I don't want any money. And then you read the Bible and you're like, maybe you read Proverbs and you're like, maybe I'm supposed to save all my money. You know, and then you read Jesus, you're like, maybe I'm supposed to give it all away. Right? Then you read Paul and you're like, maybe I'm supposed to have good times and hard times. I've learned to live with much, and I've earned to live with little. So what are we supposed to do with money? What is it? Well, I, I believe that we need to treat that money has been created as an idol in us the same way that we would treat any other idol in our lives. Where money has stolen our affection, we need to deal with it the way that we deal with any other thing that is stealing our affection from heaven. And the Bible makes it crystal clear for us in Colossians 3, verse 5, how we are to deal with affection-stealing idols in our life. We are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, the way of the world, the pattern of the world. And then there's a list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. And hear me, tithing is a weapon that's been given to us as a practice, a discipline, to fight against the idol of money in our lives. Giving is how we kill money becoming an idol in us. And at times it doesn't make any sense. But it doesn't have to make sense in the pattern of the world because it's a promise in the way of heaven. Nothing kills the idol of coveting and money like giving.
When Liz and I were in our second year of planting the very first church that we planted in Seattle, Washington called Mosaic. It's an amazing church that we, we love being out there. It's so fun. We had a few moments early on in that church planting uh, adventure that you could categorize as challenging. Uh, there, there were some challenges that were kind of built into the process of wanting to see God birth a Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching church in downtown Seattle, Washington, right? It, to, to give the equivalence, I've said this at times, is that we said, we're, we're, it's like we're going to plant a church on 6th Street. Like, and that's literally what we did. Like in, in the part of the city that would be like Seattle, 6th Street, that's where we met, that's where we had church. So you could just think, walking around 6th Street, all of these people are hungry for the gospel, right? Like all of these people want to come to church. That's not why they're there, you know? And so you could just take yourself to the challenges of trying to gather people and share Jesus in a place where very, very honestly, uh, just like Malachi said, the people had turned away from all things that God had called them to. And, and you top it off, you know, that Seattle at the time was known as a place where church plants go to die. Uh, it, it was a pretty common occurrence to meet someone who was planting a church only to say goodbye to them in six months because they were unable to make anything happen. It was just a really, really hard place. But I have to be honest with you, the hardest part for Liz and I was not the struggle. I think the struggle in the city was to be expected, right? I think what surprised me was that the struggle we were having with our finances was, was mirroring the struggle we were having in the city, like, it was almost like they were connected. Like, as soon as we moved to Seattle, almost all of our monthly support to plant the church stopped giving to us. And so we had, like, no money, like, none, right? And, and you know, people would, it was just a really chaotic way to live, honestly. And we're living in downtown Seattle, and it's expensive. And most of the people that were giving to us lived in Texas, and they couldn't wrap their mind around why in the world everything was so expensive. They thought we were, like, trying to gouge them. I'm like, I promise you, dude, it's just gnarly to live here, man. Like, milk is more expensive. Food is more expensive. They're like, are you sure you need this much money to, to live in Seattle? I'm like, dude, I'll trade with you. Like, I will move to Richardson, Texas. You can take my spot. Like, for real. Like, we can just do a little switcheroo. Like, an, like a, a, a church planting wife swap. You know, just like switch homes. Let's just see how it works, you know. And so I am, I am like dying inside and when, and then like our team members started leaving because they're moving on in life and doing different stuff and so I find myself overseeing everything in the church I was the worship leader I was the church accountant I was the church administrator Emily's over here like rolling her eyes like that must have been a disaster and it was and um so I I was up at our makeshift offices one morning which was in the, this random storage unit inside a parking garage in downtown Seattle. It was like really cool. And so I'm in this 
parking garage and it had no central heat, so we had little space heaters and it was like freezing. And I'm in this computer, like, you know, kind of reconciling the church books. And it's, it's like something's off and I'm just like frustrated. It's like seven in the morning. I'm like, oh, this is so dumb. And so I just like, you know, I'm going to time out on this and I'm going to go work on my sermon. And so I go into my little corner that was kind of like an office and I'm just like trying to write my message. You know, it's like nothing is coming. And I just get so mad. Like, I was so angry. And so I start praying, but I wasn't praying. I was more complaining. Have you ever, have you done that, you know, where you're like, I'm going to say, dear Lord, at the front end, but now I'm just going into a flesh rant, you know, but because I said bless them at the end of it, it's like, you know, like, or bless their heart. You guys know, you can start with a bless their heart, smash somebody, or be like, hey, I'm going to tell you so you can pray for them, but you're just gossiping, right? It's like that same kind of deal. And so I am just like venting and I am just letting God have it, man. And I'm like, I can't believe, you know, and I start hearing myself. I don't know if you've ever been like praying or talking and you start hearing what you're saying. And I started hearing what I was saying. And I was saying things like this, God, I don't deserve this. God, I gave you everything. I don't deserve this. Why would we not have enough money to do what you called us to do? And then, of course, in the way that only heaven can, I sit down at my computer, and my computer decides to break that morning. And I'm like, are you serious? And I start going, God, you better tell somebody to buy me a computer. Wake somebody up. Tell them, God. And I start praying for all the selfish people in America. God, these people that have so much, and I'm over here suffering. Blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I, I, can't, I no exaggeration. I felt a hand from heaven come and pop me in the chest. And he said, your inner world has gotten out of order, son. You are not seeking heaven. You are seeking the benefits of heaven. And he said, I want you to go to the Apple store and buy your dream computer and then go give it away. We didn't have much money. I call Liz looking for a way of escape. Looking for a voice of wisdom, looking for a, a, a tender correction of a, let's buy him a gift card, $20 in iTunes. And I call Liz and she's like, oh, I think this is absolutely what we need to do. So in tears, literally, because... I'm feeling the pressure of this is literally all we have. The tenderness of being rebuked for how my inner world had gotten out of order. And even in just saying yes in my heart to do this, I started feeling these cold areas of my soul start to warm up. And I just couldn't stop crying. I I just couldn't stop crying. 
crying. And, and it's amazing that for the Israelites, right, in Malachi, who had yet again lost their way, they, they, had, they had forgotten the purpose of who they were and who God had made them to be. And they're wondering, how do I even get back? How do I get back to the place of seeking first the kingdom of heaven? And God says that you have to move into my character by reordering where money sits in your life. Because our money or our resource is a weapon for freedom in our lives. It does not have to be a source of chaos in our lives. What God told the Israelites in Malachi 3.10 that bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in the house and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Yes, God is speaking about the favor and the provision that happens when we walk in the ways of God. But again, remember the words of Jesus, that we seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of these things will be given to us. God takes care of us and God provides for us. Yes, but don't miss that God is also speaking to the freedom that we encounter when we kill the idol of money and step into the invitation of generosity. I mean, and I'll never forget walking into the Apple store. And honestly, going past the nice computers, trying to lie to myself like, that's not really what you wanted. You wanted that one over there. And then my soul being like, no, 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 that's the one you wanted. And you wanted to get the Apple Care, and you wanted to get this, and you wanted to get that. And so they, every time they would ask me, sir, would you like this? I'd be like, do I want really? <laughs> I'd be like, yes. And it was, I felt sorry for the, the, the sweet young teenager that was helping me, you know, because I'm like snot and tears. She's like, what is happening? This is supposed to be happy, dude. Like, you're buying a computer. This is, and you're, like, getting a loaded one, dude. Like, this should be, like, joyful. And I'm like, yeah, I'll take the headphones, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like. Right, and, and so I, I, I get the computer, and I walk out of the store, and Liz and Sophie and Tate were there, and they're, like, in stroller age at that point, you know. And we just looked at each other, and then we're just like, so who do we give it to? Like, who do we give this to? God, like, you didn't tell us that yet. You just said, like, buy a computer, give it to somebody. And immediately, God spoke to us about a girl that was on our team who was in equally as a financially tight spot as we were. And so we drove over to her house, and we, like, sitting in the living room, was like, hey, I got you something. She was like, what? And I pull out this computer, and she's like weeping, crying, and I'm weeping, crying. And it was like this amazing moment. But you know what was better than even just like the moment of seeing her reaction of getting the gift? What happened in my heart? Because what happened in my heart is that morning, I was cold-hearted angry, frustrated, bitter at God, bitter at my situation. 
That evening, I was thankful, expectant, alive in God, and so aware that he is going to take care of us, that he is going to provide for us. And you know what? I didn't have any, like, overwhelming, you know, my storehouses were still empty. You know, I didn't, like, go home and I opened my closet and then, like, money poured out. You know, like, that didn't happen. But, but my heart was overflowing. And I think sometimes we read passages like Malachi 6, and we're like, wow, so if I give, then I'm going to get. You not, might not get money, but you will get heaven. And that's the power of reordering our inner world, is that tithing is a weapon that is built into the rhythm of our life that reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Tithing is a rhythm that is given to us that every paycheck we can say, I'm going to give out sometimes of my need because I want to receive heaven in every area of my life. Sometimes the things that we need to do in our greatest time of need makes no sense in the pattern of the world. Even if you think about it, why would I buy a computer for someone else when my had just broken? That makes no sense in the pattern of the world. The pattern of the world would be keep that for yourself. But in the mystery of heaven, he says, melt your heart with generosity and trust me for your provision. There is no greater weapon to ordering our inner world than giving. Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. There's a moment in 1 Samuel that I think is important to emphasize when we're talking about this idea of giving and sometimes giving sacrificially. And there was this moment where the king at the time was a guy named King Saul, and King Saul had heard that from the prophet at the time, which was Samuel, that they were to go to this place and that they were to wait for him and then get the plan of God and then advance over this new hill. And so hearing the message, he said, you know what, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm not going to obedient to wait for Samuel. We'll just take care of it. And so he went and did it in his own strength. And then in his own strength, he prepared a sacrifice for the Lord, which was not his place. That was Samuel's place. But again, he was just doing the mechanics for getting the purpose. And so this moment arises in 1 Samuel 15, 22, when Samuel is looking at Saul, and it says, does the Lord not delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? How much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than the sacrifice. It is more important that we're obedient to what God has called us to than simply just doing what we've seen other people do in the name of the Lord. This is why tithing and giving is freeing. It's not stressful because it doesn't matter what I'm doing, what Andrew's doing, what Chris is doing, 
It doesn't matter because what matters is my position before the Lord. Obedience is better than sacrifice. So like what is a tithe? Tithe literally means a tenth. It's what it means. It was birthed out of Genesis 14 where you have Melchizedek, the king at the time, saw this incredible victory. And so out of celebration, he gave a tenth of what he got to Abram. And this rhythm of saying God first has remained a rhythm in the house of God since that day. That we would give out of the overflow of what God has given us. And I, I, I think it's important that we end with understanding that God's desire has nothing to do with the amount, but the how. We even see Jesus bringing this home in Mark 14 when he is observing everyone giving their tithe in the temple. And he sees all of these rich people come and they're just like dropping these like bands. Y'all know what a band is, right? It's what the kids call a stack of of $1,000 in nothing but hundreds, a band. These rich people coming in and just throwing these bands down into the offering and doing it like loud, you know what I'm saying? Like, boom, you know, like their gold coins are like, you know, and they're just like all proud of themselves. And Jesus is observing this, right? And, and what are they doing? They're actually doing right by the law, but their heart. You remember? It's the purpose over the mechanic, it's the purpose of what tithing does that is greater even than the act of tithing itself. And then this old widowed woman comes in and throws in the equivalent of like a penny, maybe two pennies. On the backside of all these wealthy people just making it rain in there. And Jesus says, wow. Wow. That's it. That's what I'm after. That's what I'm going for. She understands the purpose is not that I, I have a lot to give. The purpose is I get to give. And it might just be a penny and that's all I have, but I'm going to give that penny because it's, it's better for my inner world to stay aligned in my place of need than to begin to see money as an idol in my place of need. So Jesus looks at this woman who had just had all of these people give large amounts of money and this poor widow, she put two small copper coins and he tells his disciples, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. She's put more into the treasury because she gave, they gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on. It's the how we give that unlocks the power and the purpose in the practice of giving. Look, and I know that giving is not easy. There was a stat that recently said that millennials 46% of millennials believe that they will never have enough money to do what they want to do in their life. And so baked into the system of living through two recessions and mounting school debt, 
there's this pervasive one out of two thought that I don't have enough money to live the life I want to live. So we shouldn't be surprised that millennials are not giving in church because it's, it's, it's the mechanics have taken over the purpose. And so why would you give when you're like, I don't, I don't have anything to give. I've got $30,000 of school debt. I've got $10,000 of credit card debt. How in the world am I supposed to tithe 10% when I'm not even able to pay all of my bills month to month? I would say wrong question. Wrong question. Because the invitation is for us to step into a warm-hearted life of godliness and built into the system is a, is a practice that orders our inner world unlike any other inner world. And so you sacrificing and saying, you know what, I'm going to give this even though I have to do this. Look, when Liz and I had a lot of school debt, we made this radical decision. We said, if we're going to pay $400 a month into our school debt, then we're going to give away an additional $400 to somebody else. Because if I'm going to sow into debt, I want to sow into generosity. And so when we did that, we did that for about six months. And then I got a call, hey, guess what? I'm going to pay for your school debt. $50,000 one day gone. I wasn't expecting that to happen. I wasn't doing that so that that would happen. I was doing it so that my heart would stay soft in the midst of a mountain that seemed unclimbable. And God opened up the floodgates of heaven and blew me away. But here's the thing, even if that wouldn't happen, I'd still be giving 400, 400, 400, 400, 400, 400. Because it wasn't to get a blessing, it was to stay tender. And that's what tithing does, man. It keeps our heart tender. And so my challenge for us over these next couple of days is like, yeah, you might look at your budget. You're like, dude, where in the world does 10% come from? And you might need to say, you know what? I'm going to start with 5%. Fine. Again, purpose, not mechanics. But work towards it. Work towards it. Why? Because it matters. Because when our money is in order, it's reflecting that our inner world is in order. And we're moving towards godliness. Amen? Why don't you stand to your feet? Let me pray for us. Jesus, I'm asking that right now that you would overwhelm us with your kindness and your grace. That you would fill our hearts with the acceptance of heaven. That as we're standing at the edge of this cliff of generosity and tithing, that we would be a people that give not out of obligation but out of joy. Because it is a weapon that's been given to us to order our inner world, to keep the main thing the main thing so that we can seek first the kingdom of heaven and trusting that everything else will be added. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's worship.